So apparently my iPod needs, or iPad needs to um, cool down before I could use it. Um, my notes are on it. Happy Easter, everyone. <laughs> All right, here, um, let's see. Hey, um, I'm, I'm so glad y'all are here today. I'm so glad to spend this Easter um, with you. I, I, I really mean this I, when I say this, like, um, I, I am so honored. I am so honored to be spending Easter Sunday of 2021 uh, with you. Um, it, it's kind of a big thing, not just, not just because, you know, it's Easter Sunday, but this is, this is officially yours and mine, second Easter of the pandemic. So um, that's a big deal. That's like, you know, that's not worth something worth glazing over. Like it's something worth celebrating and something worth kind of highlighting because I don't think too many people, um, well, I guess everybody in, right now could say that they've been through two uh, Easter's in the pandemic. So, but throughout history, not too many people could say that um, they've been through uh, a pandemic and, during Easter time and man like you know why because 2020 just sucked <laughs> you know like it was it was an incredibly freaking hard year um and so already five minutes in I already said sucked and uh um and the freaking great start happy Easter <laughs> actually can I get my phone I think I'm able to it's like the red one back there we'll go from there thanks So, um, yeah, welcome everyone. Thanks for being here. Welcome everyone on Facebook and everyone that'll be watching on um, YouTube. You know, we we keep we like to keep things real here, so this will not be edited. All this awkwardness, I'm just gonna soak it in, and we're just gonna push it out to the interwebs, and we're just gonna own it, and we're gonna run with it. <laughs> um, oh, that's mm, there we go. There we go. There we go. All right, here we go. Yeah, um, so this being the second Easter of the pandemic, uh, usually like around like when things like when annual kind of like moments happen, I don't know, you, you probably are, are, have already been doing this, but you, usually we tend to like um, kind of look back and just kind of process what we were like. So you, you probably went through, already went through a phase of like, okay, last Easter I was like this, and then this year on the, this Easter, still in the pandemic, this is kind of what I'm going through, and um, and um, and most likely, most of you are in a different place, or you're probably in a different place uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Even some of you, right? Some of us, like that, is indicative of the changes of like some of our social circles and our family dynamics, right? For some of us, that's indicative of um, some of the some of the thoughts and insights and perspectives that you gained throughout this past year. For some of us, that is indicative of the, the trauma and the pain that you are carrying from this past year. And it's impossible to think about last Easter and this Easter with the type of year that we had. And just really, it's impossible for it to not to change us. You know what I mean? It was that kind of year. So this Easter, now that things are potentially opening back up, you know, Lord willing, you know, potentially things are it's trending that way. Um, I would like for us to consider how Jesus ministered to his disciples after his resurrection. And as we do so, I would like for us to think about what it means to live out 
this Christian faith in a post-COVID world. Because let's face it, let's not go back to whatever back, you know, what was back then, you know. And that's the same for this, the disciples. For the disciples, Holy Week was like 2020 rolled up into one week. You know, it was a very painful, it was a very traumatic week for them. Just to outline a couple things, right? Like a few things. Like it started off, what really launched it was a betrayal of their own. They, they suffered and were vilified under an oppressive political and religious system. They sat through a court trial that condemned an innocent man to death. And they witnessed a horrific, violent death against someone they, they genuinely, dearly loved. And then when Jesus resurrected, even after his resurrection, and I mean, let's not, let's not downplay the resurrection because it is powerful. It is amazing. And it does shape us. It shapes our souls. It shapes who we are. It shapes our community. It shapes, um, I mean, the impact of the resurrection had like global like, historical implications, right? So let's not downplay that. But for the disciples, even though Jesus was resurrected, the trauma and the pain was still there. They still had the, they, were, they were still carrying the pain of what they had to endure through throughout what transpired through our holy week. But the main caveat or main kind of difference or main advantage that they had was in the midst of that trauma, Jesus was physically present with them. The trauma was still there, but so was the resurrected Jesus. Jesus was still with the disciples as they were processing everything that they went through throughout Holy Week. And the story that we are reading today is a story of Jesus having a conversation with one of his disciples who were probably one of the more hurt disciples, Simon Peter. So with that, let's, let's turn to the Bible and let's turn to um, John chapter 21. And uh, so this picks up, obviously, from if you were here with us on Good Friday, we read through the entire chapter of 19. And then 20, um, chapter 20 is an incredible chapter. I encourage you to check it out um, because that's where we get the actual resurrection account. Like we, Jesus meets with Mary and disciples. And that's where we also get the doubting Thomas where, you know, the whole finger poking thing and Jesus, you know, and all that stuff. Um, and then you also get this amazing summary of why the apostle John or, yeah, St. John wrote the gospel. And he's saying that, he says that so that we could believe, right? And so after that, we get chapter 21, which is like an epilogue. So epilogue, you know, it's kind of like, so, like hey, by, by the way, this epilogue, maybe one way to describe it is kind of like, um, you know how like when we watch Marvel movies and we always stick around for like after the credits and there's like the post-credits scene? This is that. Chapter 21 is exactly that. So we're getting a post-credits scene in chapter 21. So if we can, can we do this? Um, because... Um, there's something powerful about doing this together. It's been a while. But can we read the Word of God together? Can we do that? So we're going to have the, ly um, the lyrics, uh, the verses up there. been doing worship ministry for a really long time. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the verses are going to be up there. We're going to read chapter 21, verses 15 to 18. Uh, are we, oh. Oh, yeah, Chris, Chris is in here. Uh, it's cool. Yes, all right. Here we go. Um, if you can read it, that's great. Um, ready to go. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed, whoa. 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 <laughs> Twenty twenty one people. <laughs> All right. Okay. Is that one still operational? Okay. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like now I have to like, keep looking over my shoulder now. It's like, like, <laughs> um, I forgot where we were. Uh, can we do, let's start over. That sounds good. That sounds good. Let's give time for this. Let's soak this in. All right. 21, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. All right. Brother, thanks, Chris, for uh, cooling this down, man. That was, that was clutch, dude. Um, And so there's two things that I'd like to take from this passage. The first is that, um, and, and we're talking about what it looks like to live, a Christ, to live out our Christian faith in a post-COVID world. The first thing is this. The first lesson we see is from Jesus who made, who models the ministry of presence. He models the ministry of presence. Jesus' resurrected body is like, it's a bit of a mystery. Like sometimes he appears and sometimes he disappears. And sometimes like people like, oh, that's Jesus. And sometimes people are like, I don't know who that was. And like, but for whatever reason, at this time, and this, they're in a different place from where they were before. They're in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus shows up. And what, what, what the disciples are, they're trying to catch some fish. Um, they fail. They fail at catching fish. And this is their profession. But apparently this night, they didn't do a good job or just bad luck. And so Jesus shows up. They don't know that he is. And so they follow his advice, and they end up catching a ton of fish. And then they have this breakfast. They have a breakfast meal together. And the, some of the language of this breakfast is reminiscent of the Jesus, Jesus feeding the 5,000, except it's not 5,000. There's like about seven of them there, and they're having this meal together. They're literally sharing bread and fish, right? Loaves of bread and, and, and fish. And as they're wrapping up this meal... Jesus asks Peter three times. And each time Peter answers, yes. And Jesus responds with, then feed my sheep or lamb. Contextually, is the same thing here. And for Western readers, for a lot of us who grew up in a Western culture, we read that and we make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is sending Peter on this lone wolf journey of 
becoming the leader of the church. And he's going to be this, like, you know, this amazing dude, and he's going to have all this authority and power. Um, but to borrow the language of Henry Nouwen, which is, um, Jesus makes it clear that here, that the Christian faith is not, it's not only a communal experience, but it is a mutual experience. When Jesus talks about taking care of his sheep, he's not talking about go and make a name for yourself. Instead, what he's talking about is what, when he talks about it in John 10, when he talks about Jesus being the good shepherd, that I am the good shepherd. You, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay my life down for my sheep. Jesus here, he's talking about a ministry of presence that is vulnerable, that is, that is about vulnerability and humility. It's about being real to who you are with the people you are with. Again, to quote now, and he says, laying down your life means making your own faith and doubt, hope and despair, joy and sadness, courage and fear available to others as a way of getting in touch with the Lord of life. Um, recently, um, I, I came across. Uh, I was watching this movie, and this—you um, can ask what movie about this, this later. But like, I was watching this movie, and the, the way the movie was made and the movie was told, it was so raw and so um, genuine. Like, um, it made me think. It, it took me to a spiritual place, honestly, and it made me process like, what What does it mean for God to be true, the God of truth? And I, and. And, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I, one of the thoughts that I had after watching this movie was, I mean, truth is truth, and there's something sacred about truth. Because, like, like, for, like, for example, like, there's something, something about something that's true. When you encounter it, it makes you feel more of yourself. Right? Like, I don't know if you ever came across a person and you have this conversation, you meet them for the first time, and you're like, oh, man, that person's a real deal. And you leave feeling like, I'm more of myself. Have you ever had that, had that kind of interaction with somebody? And I think that's what truth does. Like, and I think that's, that's part of what Nowen is talking about. When we encounter something true, when we encounter someone truthful and honest and raw and, and vulnerable and uh, humble, it's like getting in touch with the Lord of life. One of the things I made clear that in this past year was how isolating, how isolating it felt. Right? Many of us express that during the lament panels of this previous, in the previous weeks. And that was probably one of the most difficult aspects of this pandemic. The loss of connection with one another. Like our sense of belonging to one another. Like that part, that part, feeling connected, it made us feel human. It made us feel whole. And it made us feel human because God created us for connection and belonging. And so the first thing that I want, to, I want us to think about is, or to take note of, is that the Christian faith, especially following the aftermath of COVID, it has to be an all-in community of mutuality. It has to be a community that is vulnerable and real and authentic with one another. That is what the resurrected Jesus modeled, modeled for his disciples. It was a ministry of presence and care. It has to be about presence, not about power, not about self-advancement or self-preservation, not about our own freedom or liberty or, you know, in the way our culture describes it. It has to be about mutually, it has to be a mutually shepherding community. Which brings us to the next point. 
Verse 18, it says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. So here's the thing about the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was written in the first century and in the 90s. And around that time, there was a lot of Christian persecution. This is after Nero. So after Nero, things just didn't kind of simmer down, uh, pun kind of intended. Um, and it's just, the, the persecution of Christians got worse. So at, at this time, the Apostle John was exiled into the island of Patmos. And in this time, around the span of a, a few years, the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John and also the Book of Revelation. So the, the, the thought of, are things going to end? Is Jesus coming back was a real kind of like, because they were under intense pressure and, and pain and trauma and fear, right? And so the apostles, including John, are writing these letters to the church to encourage them, hey, hey, we could get through this together. We could get through this together. And so there's, there's encouragements along the way in different ways, in different shapes or form, where the apostles are intentional about, hey, this is, this is what's going to happen, and this is how we're going to get through it together. And part of that was to kind of let people know, hey, uh, this, is, this is where a little detail comes in. So the, this, is, this is where the Apostle John is trying to let his readers know, hey, by the way, Jesus knew how the Apostle Paul was going to die because we already saw it happen, and so Jesus already called it out. And so it's kinda, it was reminding the readers Jesus really has authority here. So that's what's happening in background. But... On one way, to read this is also how Jesus knew, of course, you know, so P Jesus knew how Peter was going to die. But also this verse gives us an idea of how Jesus defines maturity. As a follower of Jesus, our maturity is not defined by the type of independence where you could go and make your own decisions and control your destiny. Uh, but instead, maturity, maturity in the Christian faith is an increasing obedience and trust, where the voice of our loving Heavenly Father becomes easier and easier to say yes to. Even, even if that means saying yes to places you don't want to go, or saying yes to things that you feel like you're completely unready for, this type of maturity is less about power and control. It's less about self, kind of, I don't know, self-empowerment, but it's really about unspeakable joy. It's about peace, unexplainable, that is rooted in being with Christ. It's rooted in the identity of Christ. Another way to say that is abide, right? Abide in Christ, abiding in Jesus. The Greek word for that means to make home. So to love Jesus and to submit to his leadership over your life is like, is as comfortable as making yourself at home. That's what it means to abide. So I'm not going to like deny, you know, the sin, the, I'm not going to deny, deny the sentiment that's out there, like that, you know, giving up your rights and power and control and then to submit to something is considered weak and, and spineless. But in the Christian faith, that is in, in that place. It's in that place of submitting and abiding to Jesus. It's in that place where we find true freedom and true life because that life is without attachments. There are no vices, there are no idols, except for the voice and presence of God leading you, leading us to satisfy our soul's deepest needs. Because isn't it true, and maybe you've experienced this for yourself, but isn't it true when you give yourself, 
when you give yourself to some of your freedoms to satisfy some of your needs, sometimes those things that you give yourself to end up controlling you, end up having power over you. And I wonder if, and I wonder if we're confusing ourselves with freedom, right? With freedom versus something that's actually an idol that's trying to dig deeper roots in your soul. Because ultimately, the idol will cause you to feel less human about yourself and will lead you to a path of dehumanizing others. And this matters in this season, especially when we consider the Western church. By the way, we are a church that's okay with carping on the capital C church every once in a while, so just letting y'all know. Um, like, we love it. We, we love the church and we care for the church. But, but because of that, we also grieve for it too. And I think it's okay to do that. And I think God's heart is big enough. I think the arms of Christ is wide enough to receive that. You know what I mean? So we grieve the ways that the gospel has been used to manipulate and control others. We grieve the ways that the gospel has been synonymous with fear, judgment, and misogyny. We grieve the ways that the gospel looked more like a wall keeping people out than a table inviting people in. It's, it's weird because we can no longer talk about gospel truth because for so many ways it, it sounded like hypocrisy, right? We do not, as Christians, we do not have the moral ground anymore. In the eyes of the world, at least. So in order to repair that, the Christian faith in this post-COVID world has to be an all-in people completely submitted to the resurrected Jesus. So much has been compromised already. And as you grow in our submission to Jesus, I believe that more and more we will find ourselves discovering who God created us to be in order that we will discover what it means to be created in His likeness, to be fully human as God intended it. You know, to, to start off, um, I'll just kind of wrap up here because I know it's getting hot. Or it's at least for me. <laughs> um, you know, to start off, I, I mentioned that it, it, it really is an honor to, to be here together with each of you. It's, it's a joy and privilege to be here and to spend this Easter with you. And um, I don't say that lightly. You are here. You are on this planet. You get to receive and give to it. You're taking up space. You exist, and your existence matters simply because you are a human, human being created in the image of God. And to be a human being with a body and soul that is, in itself, it's sacred and it's beautiful. It is worthy and is valuable and is worthy of advocacy on every level. And just to be clear, when I talk about this, I'm not talking about like a philosophical stance of like humanism. I'm not talking about a political ideology. I'm not even talking about, you know, social justice. Like I'm talking about the gospel perspective of like what's behind all this is that, like in Genesis 1, like we were, that we were created as image bearers of God. In Psalm 139, it says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. When God thinks of us, he thinks wonderful things about us. He thinks um, the precious thoughts about us. And so on this Easter Sunday, where each of us are, you know, 
on this Easter Sunday, we have been through so much this past year, right? Like, we have experienced so much trauma, so much pain, so much hurt, so much confusion, disappointment, anger, death, betrayal. And on this Sunday, I say we take back our humanity by going back to Jesus, who lived the perfect life. We need Jesus to set the tone of what it means to be human again. Because what we see in the fall is when sin entered into the world, all of humanity became less human. The glow of our Imago Dei somehow got dimmer. And as a result, all of humanity started, begin, started contributing its thoughts, words, and actions, and systems and structures that continued the dehumanization of one another. This past year, this past week, like the pandemic, the political climate made us more aware of all of that. Like, just, like this, even this, like the past week, right? Like, there are so many unholy things happening, right? In Holy Week, there's like ongoing violence against our Asian AAPI image bearers of God. The trial of George Floyd, who bears, who himself bears the image of God. All, all this and so much more has contributed to remind us how humanity continues to dehumanize one another. And I say, as a people of God, we claim that back. All the things that dehumanized us this past year, all the things that caused death to our souls this past year, let us put that on the cross. Let us put those things in the tomb. And on this Easter Sunday of 2021, let's live in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us live in the victory of his resurrection. Let us live in his peace, a peace that makes us whole, a peace that this world cannot understand, a peace, that this, a, a peace to know, a peace to live. And I pray that we would be that people. I pray that we would be that kind of people. I pray for us, for each of you here, that we will live out the resurrection of Jesus in these ways in this post-COVID or current COVID world as participants and recipients of the ministry of presence, care, and repair. And let's be who God created us to be, to, to be divine image bearers of God. Let's push back against all things that are not that. Because when we think about the gospel, the gospel restores, the gospel redeems, the gospel heals. And let's do that. Let's be agents of that. Abba, Father, we, we come before you on this Easter Sunday. And um, um, it's kind of a mixed bag, you know. Um, not only are TVs flipping and, you know, iPads going out, but um, it's kind of indicative of what we feel like is happening in the world, you know. Um, but we submit to a greater spiritual reality. We submit to the truth of the gospel, the gospel identity. And we, in the name of Jesus, we cast out all lies, all words, all thoughts, all actions that has sought to, to dehumanize us, to make us feel less than, that sought to divide us, uh, that sought to control, 
And we cast all that down in the name of Jesus. And we receive your gospel, your full gospel that restores us and heals us. We receive your gospel that that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but you still, you loved us. There's nothing that you and I, that we could ever do that could change how you feel about us because the, the cost of your love has already been paid. When you see us, you don't see our flaws. You don't see our shame. You don't see our, our stupidity. You see Jesus. And so we submit to that today. We arise to that today. So Jesus, we receive you. We live in your resurrection today. And help us, help us, help us to impart that to the world around us. Help us to never give up in this endeavor. With ourselves, with each other, and in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. I um, want to invite you to join me uh, in uh, the practice of um, uh, the sacrament of communion. And before we we jump in, um, just want to uh, express how grateful I am for your presence here. It's it's kind of like a family reunion after a really long time, and. Uh, just ex want to express my gratefulness also for uh, Pastor Elliot, uh, our head pastor, uh, who delivered a message to, to, to deliver a message like that, even during a Sunday like this uh, of Easter. And, and one of the things that I love about uh, what Pastor Elliot just shared is uh, how he kind of holds in tension this idea that we're here celebrating Easter, where uh, we're here to celebrate the triumph and to celebrate Christ's victory over the death uh, over uh, death and at the same time he's talking about how uh, we're living in this world that is marked by an ongoingness of death you know so this is the context from which we celebrate Christ's uh, resurrection and his triumph and uh, when I reflect on one statement that uh, Elliot shared which was that how it's a, a point of grief for many of us how the gospel has historically and perhaps even ongoingly now been used as a tool to actually continue oppression and to manipulate people. And I believe one of the ways that churches have done this is by emphasizing the triumph and the celebration of Christ while denying and minimize the ongoingness of death and suffering in the world. This could be a whole message, I'm not gonna go in there. But what I propose to you is that the act of communion during the week of Easter is this paradox of suffering and grief and lament with celebration. These two things don't cancel each other out. And this is actually what makes our Christian faith, this is what makes Easter, this is what makes communion beautiful because one doesn't nullify the other. We can celebrate Christ's victory without minimizing and denying all the junk we had to go through this year, all the, 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 the coronavirus pandemic, the racism pandemic, 
we don't have to minimize any of that. We don't have to put it away. We can hold that with one hand and hold on to the hand of Christ, who, which was pierced for us when he died and he resurrected from the dead. And, the, and, and dead. and this is why, as a church, one of our values is that we affirm we're a Bible-believing church. We believe in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we believe in peacemaking and justice, and we see all those things at the same time. And this makes so much more sense when we hold these things together. So be wary and be careful of those that want to preach on triumph and celebration. In, uh, and, and in doing so, they deny the ongoingness of death, something that even Jesus Christ would not do. So uh, join with me as you bring out the elements. There's a, a piece of, uh, you kind of have to, it's a little tricky to get that. Uh, I'm struggling to get that right now too. And knowing this week it's all going to splash over me or I'm going to sit on it. I was expecting to do that late today, but, but John kind of did it before me. I'll probably do it next week. <laughs> um, so if you can hold out the bread, uh, this bread is made from many grains, from many fields, yet was formed into a single loaf. In the same way, we are from many cultures and many places, but we are one body. The communion is a reminder that the body of Christ was broken so that we would be made one in him. The body of Christ broken for you. Let's respond with the, with the following. The body of Christ broken for me. And also, the juice of this cup contains many vines made by many hands, yet it pours freely. In the same way, let us pour ourselves freely as Christ modeled for us. May we be generous givers of grace, mercy, and blessings to each other and to all. The cup of Christ poured out for you. Let's respond with the following. The cup of Christ poured out for me. Looking to the screen, let's respond together with the following as we reflect on the elements and begin wrapping up our time together this morning. Though we partake now from a distance, we long for the day to partake together in person. And though we partake now with partial satisfaction, we long for the full feast at the eternal table in the presence of God. Uh, let's pray. Father, we stand in this liminal space between death and resurrection, between the ongoingness of death over this past year in particular, and how it foreshadows years and years of work and kingdom work uh, to come. And this moment of Easter, as we celebrate uh, not only your death, but also your resurrection and your triumph. And like many other Christian spiritual traditions have done in the past, perhaps most spiritual Christian uh, traditions in the past. Uh, we live within the ongoingness of death, and yet we defy that, we resist that by holding onto and claiming uh, the resurrection and the triumph that you have already won by dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead. And we, long, we look forward to that day when you can return 
fully consummate your kingdom and uh, complete this work that you started uh, many years ago. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.